0: Welcome
1: to episode 154 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today I am truly delighted to introduce you to a woman who has become really an amazing friend to me. This is Sheila, and Sheila will talk about how we got to know each other in just a little bit when we start the episode. But know that today she gets to share with all of you her wonderful son, Angelo. Angelo was a truly awesome and talented young man. Sheila picked this week to tell us all his story because this is the week of his birthday. Just a few days after this episode releases on August 30th, Angelo should be celebrating his 23rd birthday. So in this episode, I really do want to wish Angelo a happy birthday And have Sheila know that all of us in the Always Andy's Mom community are here with her, remembering her boy today and all week. Thank you so much, Sheila, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot tell the audience enough how excited I am to be able to talk to Sheila and share her son, Angelo's story, because I have actually known Sheila for quite a while now. When was it that you first emailed me? Do you know? Do you even remember? I think a few months after Angelo passed away,
2: I thank goodness, found your podcast within a few weeks of his passing. And it was just like the only thing that just kept me going. And finally, one day I thought I need to email her and let her know how much I appreciate that. So it's been At least six months,
1: maybe longer, maybe seven or eight months. I think at least, yeah. I feel like at least that long because we emailed back and forth for quite a while. And then you gave me some advice on things. And then you joined the support group that we do through Starlight. And now I feel like I know you super well. Like, I feel like we're good friends and I've never met you in person. I know. (laughs) It's amazing that after this happened,
2: the people I'm closest to are the people in our support group who... I've only met one of them in person, so
1: yeah. Yeah, I know. And we're from all over the place because you're out in California, which is crazy now. So you're my third Californian that I've had now in a row. So we are doing a big, uh, like a West Coast tour now. of guests from California. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, very good. So why don't we start out just by you telling everyone about your wonderful son, Angelo. Okay,
2: great. Angelo was just the sweetest, most beautiful baby. He was born on his due date in Singapore, which was, you know, unusual. Both of those were
1: unusual. And he was born on his due date. I just have to put that in there. Isn't that funny? Yeah, which is unusual, right? it's like 15% of kids are born on their due date.
2: Yeah. Really unusual. So we weren't expecting it. So I was literally working that day. Cause I was thinking I want to take off as long as I can after he's born. So, mm-hmm. and I didn't have any problems in my pregnancy. So I was working right up until his due date. And that was going to be my last day of work until I took off. So it was, you know, kind of in the afternoon, I started to feel stuff. And then in the evening, and then I'm saying to, to my husband, Dave, oh my God, I think I'm, you know, having contractions and then, you know, raced off to the hospital. And actually we, I think we, we kind of got through the night and and then we raced to the hospital. And then the next day was the 30th, August 30th, which was his birthday. And yes, you're in labor, Sheila, but it was one of those things where, you know, me saying, well, I don't want a, an epidural, you know, I'm going to make this happen. And I sat there in labor all day long and would not progress. And finally, they convinced me to give me Pitocin. At I don't know she said, I have to give you the Pitocin. I don't know what time this was. Do you want the epidural? And I said, No, nah, I don't need it. And then oh. she gave me the Pitocin. I was like, give, give me, me the epidural. epidural. Oh,
1: yeah. You can't do a Pitocin without an epidural. Oh my That's god. So yeah. So, yeah. And I was so freaked out by it. But everything worked out great. I think I had to have Pitocin for all of my deliveries. So right. I totally feel it. But I had an epidural first. I'm married to an anesthesiologist. He wouldn't let me make that mistake. (laughs) And then with my second child, Gabriel,
2: uh, I was living in America and I did the same thing like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And it got to the point, and we didn't need to progress the labor. I didn't need Pitocin, but she, but then, you know, everything hurt so much. I said, I need that epidural now. And she said, it's too late. late. You (laughs) are, you have... 30 minutes of this baby's out, like you can't have it. <laughs> so, so that was me trying to be a, you know, good mom and not have any of the, the meds that I really should have had. Oh, oh, that's
1: funny. Yeah.
2: So, so yeah. So then Angela was just the best little baby, you know, hit all those milestones just, you know, so cute. And, Um, We just had such a great time with him growing up. He just latched on to things. He was your typical boy, loved Thomas, the tank engine trains. Mm -hmm. Dinosaurs were his huge passion and just loved them. And we moved to Houston when he was about a year and a half. And uh, his favorite activity was to go to the Houston Museum of Natural History and just, you know, go through the dinosaur exhibits over and over and over. And Mm -hmm. I mean, just loved it, and every day he would come home with a different dinosaur. And I have a huge box of his dinosaurs in the garage. And then after that was Harry Potter. Angel just loved Harry Potter, just fantasy and all of those things. Just, I mean, Angel's favorite thing was was you know he was an introvert and just the games inside his his own head that he made up. He had such a great imagination, and he was just so fun, so fun to play with. I just
1: had the best time with yeah. him as a kid. And he's the one that made you a mama, he was your very first. Yeah, he is,
2: mm-hmm. and we just had so much fun together. Like, he was your typical kid who just loved to play all the time. As he got older, we realized how he had this ability to just memorize things. And we were coming back from a road trip once, he just recited a whole SpongeBob episode, and we were like, Oh my god, um, he has this like. Crazy memory. And so that that kind of moved into his next thing, which was speech and debate, where he was just he was just so good at it and won awards and all sorts of things with that. But you know, the one constant in Angel's life was video games. Once he was introduced to those, he loved them. He loved the Wii, he loved Garage Band or Garage Hero or one of those. And then, you know, as he got older, moved into other video games. He competed his first tournament. He was, I think, they came in second, and
0: he just loved it.
2: And his gamer tag was, it's, I think it was, it's Croesus, which was from a game, Skyrim. And I, I mean, he just loved imagination, movies, games, books, and yeah, he was just such a fun kid.
1: Yeah, wow, it's so funny. You bringing up all those things just makes me think so much of my boys when they were little, with so many of those fun stories of dinosaurs and video games and playing where angelo and gabriel close they were four to five years apart
2: and so it was funny when they were i mean they played together a lot when they were little they were very close when they were little but as they got older and angelo hit the teen years Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of, they're, they're in different phases of their lives. But mm-hmm, yeah, sure. in the beginning, it was so cute. Gabriel insisted on wearing Angelo's clothes. So his first day of preschool, there was Gabriel wearing these shorts that were like five sizes too big and this big <laughs> t-shirt and I couldn't get him to change. And so that's what he wore to preschool. And yeah, so they were really close when they were little. Gabriel just hero worshiped his, his big brother.
1: It is funny how that is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like Peter was that way too just worshiping Andy. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So so as Angelo got older and got through high school, talk about him a little bit then. Yeah. So Angelo always had, you know, a ton of friends and they would
2: come to the house. And I just love that too. Like his friends always, always were here yeah. and they would barbecue and just hang out. And they always felt so comfortable being in our house and just chatting with us. And it just was so fun. It's so different from my younger son who never has friends over. And probably because, you know, that Angelo's no longer here and it just yeah. feels you know, different, but yeah, it yeah. was just, the house was filled with noise. And, and then Angelo, when he was playing video games, would be yelling and screaming. and So we miss all the noise, all the, you know, Angelo had a, a big personality and he had a loud voice and he loved our little dogs. We have two little Maltese and he just loved them and loved playing with them.
1: So yeah, I I really do miss like that energy in the house.
2: Mm-hmm. it's really quiet without him
1: although he wasn't living at home at the time was he yeah but um so so what happened with angelo was
2: he was good he started to something kind of happened between 11th and 12th grade and i could never get him to tell me what happened but he just started to get depressed and angelo never really liked change so i thought oh it's going off to college you know and He had missed, you know, the deadline for the college he wanted to go to in Seattle. And I kind of was, you know, it was kind of like be there and help him, step back a little, let him do it his own way. And I was like, Angelo, you're gonna miss the deadlines. And he's like, Mom, I've got it. It's all good. And he missed the deadline for the school he wanted to go to. So he ended up going to Sonoma, which is a college here, a state Uh school in Sonoma, Sonoma State. Mm -hmm. And he went with a bunch of friends and It was funny because he didn't really want to go with a bunch of friends. He kind of wanted to go like strike out and do something different, but he made that choice and I didn't make choices for him. You know, I encouraged him to make his choice. And then later he said, well, I picked that school because I thought you wanted me to go there. And I said, well, I did, but I never told you to pick a school because I wanted you to go there, you know, (laughs) right. I wanted you to make the decision. And anyway, but he hated it. So he went to Sonoma and he hated it. He had learning disabilities, which we didn't find out about till Angelo was. So he was just so smart that he was able to listen to the lectures. Like I said, he, he remembered everything. So he could listen to the lectures and he wouldn't do a lot of reading, but he would, you know, he would still get good grades. But it wasn't until eighth grade where he came home his last report card of eighth grade with four C's. And I was like, freaking out, you know, what happened? Cause he was always an A student, you know, occasionally, but an A student. And I was like, you're not studying, blah, 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 blah. And then I said, I'm going to get you tested because I was like, there's a disconnect here. You do study, you know, and like, he, he still spent time on things. So I had him tested. The school wouldn't test him. They just, they, did, they said like, oh, C's are great. I'm like, I'm kind of a school. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it turned out he had a whole host of learning disabilities that nobody ever uncovered. He had dysgraphia, he had dyslexia, he had a slow processor for writing, it took him double, you know, double time to write it like he had all these things that the teacher should have identified over the years, it was just amazing to me like, once I learned what these things were, it was like, these are classic signs, he starts writing
1: an inch over, like, these just weird patterns that He just was so smart with his auditory abilities that he could mask it pretty well. I bet he could.
2: And like any any presentation, Angela would do it for the group for anybody, and he would just nail it. So he would always get like great points for presentations, and. You know, if it was a book review, he'd watch the movie or something and come in and just nail it. And, you know, he just had, he could talk his way out of anything. I mean, just very good about that. So we found that out. And later he told me that was the worst thing that ever happened to me because it made me feel so stupid. And Um. I never tried after that. So, I mean, these things were all bubbling there, but I didn't know how much they were affecting him. So when we went off to Sonoma, they had a huge resource center. He never went there. He wouldn't go get help. And then in high school, he hated going into the resource area. He said it was a joke. Like the teachers demeaned them. Anybody who, who had a learning disability were demeaned. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible thing for him. And to go your whole, like, I think if you're diagnosed when you're young, it's one thing you grow up thinking, okay, I, I have this thing and it's different and I need to work with it. But to have that thrown on you in ninth grade when you're going into
1: to high school mm-hmm. was just really tough. Especially so going, when at that age, all you want is to be kind of the same as everybody else exactly. in many ways is you just, you don't want to be the one who sticks out. Uh, and that was yeah. his thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
2: so going off to college, he felt the same thing and he came home one weekend and he said, am I retarded? And I'm like, Angel, how could you say that? Like when you did, when we did the test, he was at a 12th grade level and he was in eighth grade, you know, for yeah. like his yeah. cognitive abilities. And he just couldn't, like, he didn't want to go do what he needed to do to get help. He just right. felt I can, I can just cruise through it. Like I did high school. So in high school, knowing he had these learning disabilities, he kind of gave up on studying, but he got a 3.2, He graduated yeah. 3.2. Didn't do anything extra, just basically went to lectures and took the tests. Like, yeah. and he still got a 3.2. And it's funny on his graduation, he said, Mom, you were so worried about me. Look, I graduated and I graduated with 3.2 and I got into college and I didn't do any studying. And I'm like, Yeah, imagine if you had studies, like imagine, <laughs> think about that another way. But anyway, okay. so so college really was rough for him because you can only carry that so far. In college, yeah. you have oh, to yeah. you have to have more. Resources, you have to, you know, you have to take advantage of the things offered you.
1: Well, and you think about in college, you have oftentimes you only meet two or three times a week. So if you are an auditory learner, you don't get that much of your learning through the spoken word. It's so much of it has to be through reading. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm.
2: And then, you know, I even said t- take Audible order yeah. the books, like do whatever you need to do. You know, he just didn't like, I don't know. He just didn't want to be different. So he would, he would work his way through the books and, but it just, you can't, you can't keep yeah. up. Yeah. So basically that first semester, he just couldn't keep up. And he said, I need to come home. And he was so depressed and I'm like, come home, we'll figure it out. No big deal. And he was just so devastated by it. He called me the last day, just all his roommates had left, and he was just crying, mom, I screwed up and I'm like, no, Angela, we'll figure it out. Yeah. But really that was kind of like for him, I think it just, he just couldn't kind of self-correct after that. So he came home, it took him a while. He went to community college and he just started to find his way. He started taking drama classes, which he was just so good at, such a great yeah. actor and a movie critiquing class, and he really was enjoying them. And then COVID hit, and those those are classes you have to be in the classroom to watch the movie together and have a discussion. And, and, you know, this was a while before they figured out remote learning. So basically that was it, those classes were off. So he just, and we were so isolated and I was just so paranoid about COVID in those early days when we all were, and I wouldn't let him go out. And he just got so depressed, socially isolated. And so he said he wanted to move in with my ex-husband, who is a nurse. So my ex-husband had already had the vaccine when none of us had. And David was like, yeah, he can live here. He can come and go. Like, I'm not going to have any restraint. So it would be great for Angelo. He can just come and go. And, and so yeah. I didn't want him to move. Of course, I'm his mom. I wanted him to stay with me, but he made that decision. So he moved in with David and unfortunately, You know, marijuana was legal by this time, and the two of them, unfortunately, uh, David and Angela both suffer from anxiety, and so there was a lot of smoking pot, and David didn't have the same rules I do about no drinking and, you know, none of these things. So I think being socially isolated, COVID, no mom there to look after you, he just kind of, you know, he turned more and more to those things. And yeah, so I didn't really talk about it, but Angelo suffered from anxiety, which we didn't learn until he was, when we moved to California, when he was going into middle school, his second year of middle school, he just, it was the weirdest thing. You're, you're a doctor. I'm sure you've seen this, but he started to talk under his breath all the time. And I was like, what is he doing? And I never knew exactly what he was saying. Cause he wouldn't tell us. Mm -hmm. Um, and it took us a long time to find a decent doctor to help him, but he had OCD, which we never knew, you know, in retrospect, there were signs, like there was a sign when he got sick. One time he kept going over and over, like (gasps) when he got asthma, you know, like this repetitive thing, but he got over that. And then there was another time he became like constantly putting on chapstick. And I remember taking him to school one day and he was like, Oh my God, I forgot my chapstick. And I was like, so like, you'll get through the day, but he was just so distraught. And so these were signs that later I realized, okay, yeah, maybe he did have OCD, but we didn't know it. So when the doctor said it comes out when you're 13 or so, when you start going through puberty. hmm his OCD kind of contributed. So he, so that's, sorry, this is long. I'm getting all over the no, place. No, it's that's fine. why he started to smoke pot. I think was really to ease the anxiety. It was just like constant, constant anxiety, which came out in OCD. And then he got that under control so that, so that we didn't see it, but that didn't right. mean it wasn't in his head all the time.
1: Sure.
2: And his behavior was that way. He would do things, you know, make himself do things over and over, but you couldn't see it. So I think unfortunately, like he was struggling with those those issues. And that encouraged him to turn, unfortunately, to, to marijuana and alcohol, two things I'm just adamantly against. And so um that kind of again, you think you're smoking pot to relieve anxiety, but it actually causes depression. You know, it's a depressant. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's and the alcohol is a depressant. And so you turn to those things thinking, oh I'll, I'll calm down, I'll feel better. But then I don't know how it all works, but you know, that's, that's what happened. And so anyway, Angel was struggling a lot during, during this COVID period and turning to those things. And anyway, he called me up one day and he said, I, well, we told him you have to, you have to go to a program like to deal with your mental health. And we finally, yeah. David and I convinced him to go. And it was a, a day program. You would go for the day and come home. He finished it. It was like a month and he was really making a lot of gains going out every day, being forced to go out and talk about issues, see other people struggling too. And then after that month, they said, oh yeah, you're done. And I'm like, what? Like there's no, there's no like follow through, no come in once a week or twice a week. And no, he's done. He's good. He can afford a private therapist. So he should just do that. And I couldn't get them to do it. And then Finally, they said, well, we have a drug and alcohol one. If he wants to join that, I'm like, sure, anything to get him to continue to go. So Angel said, yes, I'll join the drug and alcohol one. Obviously, he knew he was smoking too much. And so he went to that program and and then they convinced him to go to a sober living facility. So he went to a sober living facility and then he called me and he said they put him in a room with three people. One of them was just out of jail. And Angelo said something that pissed the guy off. And the guy said, if you do that again, I'll kill you. So Angelo was just like, you know, with his anxiety, he was afraid he couldn't sleep. So finally I said, just come home, you know, we'll, we'll work on it together. But, and and I thought he was sober. I thought he was doing well, but um, he moved, he wanted, he was having conflicts with Gabriel. And finally I said, look, you, you, you're by now 21, let's get you in your own place you know, either here in California or in Arizona, and he chose to go to Arizona. So he moved to Tucson. And when he left, unfortunately, I found alcohol in his room, and I never knew he was drinking at home, but he was so he had these crutches of alcohol and and Mm -hmm. the marijuana. And um, so in Tucson, I had him with a therapist to deal with his depression and his anxiety. And she told me, um, you know, she couldn't tell me anything, but she said, yeah, he doesn't need it. He's not, he's not depressed. I'm like, so I went out to visit him. He was completely depressed. His room was full of trash and, you know, food everywhere. He yeah. wasn't showering like classic signs of depression. And I called her up. I'm like, I don't understand how you decide this kid does not have depression, but you know, some of it is Angelo. Cause he was such a good actor. Like yeah. if you ever said, Angelo is everything. Oh, it's all good. Mom. Everything's good. all good. He never really wanted to say everything. Well, he did what he did with us, but I guess that's what he did with the therapist. I mean, I'm blaming the therapist because I think they should know to dig a little deeper and and figure things out. But it was just a pattern in Angelo's life. So when you say what happened to Angelo, I think he was failed by the system repeatedly. Like the teachers didn't realize he had learning disabilities. The therapist said he wasn't depressed. He had a psychiatrist who Angelo didn't want to take anything addictive. He was afraid of being addicted to anything because I told him about addiction in my family for years when he came home from college the psychiatrist said, you've got to start taking something for your anxiety. So he got him to take Gabby Penton. And Angel said, within a week, this is addictive. And the psychiatrist kept saying, no, it's not addictive. It's not addictive. And Angel said, my, friend, my friend's taking it, and he's addicted too. And if you look on Reddit, it's addictive. And I kept going back to the psychiatrist. He kept saying, no, it's just mentally he thinks it's addictive. It's physically addictive. So he got addicted to this. And this psychiatrist would have prescriptions at two different pharmacies. And instead of regulating it and bringing it down, he was just like giving him maximum doses. And so everybody let Angel down is where I'm going with this. It's like the psychiatrist like turned into just being your typical pill pusher. So anyway, when Angel moved to Tucson, he, I went out to visit him and, you know, we were moving him to another apartment. And during that visit, you know, he seemed fine. Like, uh, of course he, I could see mm-hmm. he wasn't happy, like entirely happy. He was still trying to find himself, but, you know, we moved him into a new apartment. We set it all up. He was super excited about it. He wanted lights on the ceiling, you know, all these things to set it up, really excited about his new place. And then our last night together, he said, I want to watch a movie with you, mom. He just loved movies. And I thought it was going to be, you know, something like Lord of the Rings or whatever, because he's 20, he was 21 and he puts on Pooh's Grand Adventure, which was just... (laughs) So cute. It was our favorite movie when he was little. I mean, that's how he was. He was like a big kid, but a little kid.
1: What a sweet, sweet memory. Still
2: trying to trying to find his way to adulthood. Yeah. But anyway, what happened was, we don't know what happened. He, the night he died, he called me and said, I, mom, I screwed up. I was in an accident. And and I'm like, oh, are you okay? And he said, Yeah, I'm totally fine. It's just the bumper, you know, that's all. I hit a um, I hit a, a pole or something, a short pole going into a gas station. I couldn't see it in I don't know if you've been to Tucson, but there's there's no lights. It's super dark because of the telescope and
1: the no, city's no.
2: super dark and he's he said but it's all good but then as we started to talk he started to get distraught like why do these things happen to me i asked a girl out tonight she didn't want to go out with me his, his ex-girlfriend was just torturing him and he started to get really distraught why do i get in these accidents why is everything bad happen to me why do i have so many problems and then you know he's like i can't find my dad pen i don't even know what that is i think it's something that has marijuana that was more concentrated and he's like I can't find it can you give me money to get another dab pen I really need to relax and I'm like Angelo I I'm not going to give you money to go buy drugs you know I'm against drugs anyway we're talking and then all of a sudden I realize I'm talking to him and he's not answering me and and I'm like Angelo Angelo if you don't answer me I'm going to call the police I'm getting really worried and he didn't answer and I said I'm going to count down from 10 and I did. And I really hated to do this, but I hung up and I called 911. And it took them forever. They just argued over which police would go and whether it would be Tucson police or the university police or whose jurisdiction it was. And then it took them like, I don't know, like probably 45 minutes to get there. And then the police officer called me and said, you know, what's going on? And I told him and I said, I think so. I think he took something that that knocked him out. Or maybe, you know, I just, I'm worried he overdosed on something. And they're like, what and I go? I don't know. You know, he'd go yeah. in the door is unlocked and they wouldn't go in. They would not go in. And they banged on the door. Nobody answered. It was labor day. All of his roommates were out. There was nobody home. There was no security around. This is a 24 hour, seven day a week complex with security, which is what they advertise. There was no security. I called them repeatedly. Nobody answered me all night. And then Angelo they I said that's his window right there the window right near the door bang on that and they're doing it and he's not answering and they're like oh we hear him snoring though he's okay he's just sleeping deeply he's snoring and I'm like I mean I didn't know at the time I was like okay okay and and they're like yeah he's fine he's totally fine we can hear him snoring he's fine and I and I said well yell and bang and they did and they go he must sleep really deeply and I'm like, okay, well, you know, and I trusted them. And yeah, and yeah he, by the time I got security there in the morning, he was already gone. I feel so much guilt for believing those police and not not getting the security there and not calling my sister who lived in Tucson and all these things. And, you know, I know that I did call the police and you're supposed to be able to trust the police. and Yeah. But it's just so devastating to me. It's like, like I told you, it's just this continued trend for Angelo of people letting him
0: down, you know,
2: they wouldn't call the paramedics, you know, they just refused, you know, it just adds to the list of people who just let down my, my sweet boy. He was just the funnest, sweetest, nicest person.
1: I can't tell you. I mean, I've heard this story now months ago for the first time, right? And it just... Appalled me and made me so angry then, because I feel like you are so right that so many people let you down, and just you just wish you could go back and somebody had opened the door and realized that he was not arousable right at that moment, which he wouldn't have been. I understand that anger, yeah, that you had to feel.
2: Yeah, I have a lot of anger toward toward everybody, but I'm mainly sad because. I can't change it, you know, and I even did explore a lawsuit, but this just added to my like feeling of the system, letting me down. Lawyer after lawyer told me like, you can't win because in Arizona, in the autopsy, they don't declare time of death. They don't go figure out when this person died. What they do is the time they discover the body is time of death. So there's no, yeah. So there's no way to know from the time the police were there, To the time he was found when he died. So, the police, to just add insult to injury, tried to cook up this story because I filed a complaint with the police. Which you should have, yeah. They tried to cook up this story that, oh, we tracked his phone and he got, he went out after we were there at like two in the morning and he drove here and there and he must have, you know, got something along the way that had fentanyl in it and. You know, so we didn't do anything. So I called the the cell phone company and they go, No, that's Eastern time. He was this all happened the night before, before the police got there. He was not on his phone, at, he was not driving anywhere after midnight, which is when the police came. So they're like, they're making that up. Um, the phone company told me that they're making that up. And then they're like, Oh, he had a bank transaction at you know 2 a.m. And I called Bank of America and they're like, Nope, that transaction was that's Eastern time. This was in Arizona. It was, you know, well within the time. It was like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. So it's like they just try to cook up the story. And I said, beyond that, even though he told me his car was fine. I mean, Angela was really good with driving and good with cars. I don't know how he got home because my ex-husband and my brother went to get that car to take it to the mechanic and they couldn't drive it. That yeah. It was completely destroyed. It was totaled. And so Angela was able to drive it, but it was like, Everything was the wheels was embedded, like it yeah. was completely screwed up the body. And so, for the police to claim he got in an accident and then went out and then you know was so passed out that they couldn't get him out of bed, but then he suddenly got up two hours later and was driving all over the place in a car that was totaled. It was just like such an insult to me. The Tucson police were just so useless.
1: Honestly, they were probably all trying to make themselves feel better and to
0: cover
2: themselves legally,
1: right? Before I filed a
2: complaint the narcotics officer told me the amount of fentanyl in in whatever he had was so low it should not have killed him and so they said the good news is he didn't do fentanyl the bad news is he didn't do fentanyl because like it was such a minute amount it should not have it should not have killed him and he had had a drug test for a job like a week before and was totally clean and yeah. you know the police tried to play it like oh he must have wanted to die he must have killed himself but he had a when the when my sister showed up at the apartment he had an order of his Safeway food show up literally as they were coming to take him away and he had like smoked salmon all his favorite foods his cheeses his brie cheese like Ansel loved to eat loved like nice foods And um, despite having food allergies, he found a way to really enjoy eating. So it's like that, again, was an insult, like, okay, here, here he is. And he had gone out with his cousin that night, and he had told her he was going to go back to college the following semester. And like, this was not somebody who was setting out to kill himself.
1: Well, he was on the phone
2: with you, for goodness sake. He was on the phone with me as this happened. Yeah. And he had been playing video games with his best friend, Keegan, you know, before he went out with his cousin and all these things happened. And then his cousin also really upset me because she lied to the police and she said she never was with him that night. And she could have given them evidence to find out who gave him what, where And caught those people because, you know, Angel obviously didn't know that what he was taking was lethal and she could have helped, but she just lied. She lied to everybody in the family, except we have a text where she sent one cousin, a text saying, I was with him that night. I don't know what happened. Sorry. I feel like I missed something. And then she lied to everybody else and said she wasn't with him. And then she lied to the police and made up all sorts of stories, which, you know, it's just a thing like this really can turn you against some of your family.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about that, about obviously it's so, so devastating and horrible what had happened. And then we've talked a lot about your healing and support you have and haven't gotten from people in your family. Do you want to talk about that, about your journey a little bit? Yeah. So at first I felt really supported.
2: One of my sisters, my favorite sister came out and she just like took leave and spent a whole month out here with me. And it was just amazing. Like the support I got from her and she helped me set up the whole celebration of life for Angelo. She did an incredible slideshow. We had his favorite music. We, you know, we picked things from Aladar and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, like all his favorite things. Like she spent so much time with me and working with the police and because she lives in Tucson. So she... In the end, she went and dealt with the police and brought me back Angelo's ashes. And so she's just been an incredible, incredible support for me. But the thing that I've really lacked and and everybody came, my brother and his sons, like gave incredible, incredible tributes to Angelo at his celebration, like just beautiful speeches and just funny, funny memories. And Angelo was so fun. Everybody just loved him. He had so many friends speak about how each of them thought Angela was their best friend. And you know, his friend from childhood, Dakota, came out and just such great speeches. But then, you know, during the service, the pastor said, You're all here now, it's great, but don't forget how lonely it gets when you're all gone. Yeah.
1: And yet they all
2: forgot. Yeah. And I had to struggle through. Angela died in September, and then in October. October was Halloween, his absolute favorite holiday. Angela loved Halloween, and not one person acknowledged that on Halloween. Like nobody sent me a message, nobody called, nobody texted no none of my family lives here but none of them did anything to acknowledge how hard that day must be for me and that they were thinking of angelo and it's just so so interesting for me one friend who's i'm not even close to i never talked to her she sent me a text on halloween going thinking of angelo today and i was like how can my own family not think to do this you know and and it's just it went like that holiday after holiday and New Year's Eve, I'm on a big group chat with my family. And every New Year's, we were together in Tucson with my whole family. And I made myself go, for Gabriel's sake, to Tucson. It was so hard. So hard. And there's this group chat at midnight, like happy new year. And I'm like, really? Like all of you are just saying happy new year. Nobody's thinking about this. So finally I just texted them all. I'm like, I cannot believe you guys are doing this. Like nobody's even thinking of Angelo or saying, gosh, we miss Angelo or nothing. And they're like, well, we think about Angelo, but we didn't want to bring him up in case it made you sad. I'm like, I think of him constantly when you don't bring him up. It makes me feel like you've all forgotten him, which is the way you're behaving. Yeah. So I thought I had told them and that would take care of it. Next thing came along, Valentine's day, nothing, Easter, nothing, my birthday, nothing, mother's day, nothing. It's just like, who are these people? Yeah. They just don't know. I've just been like, oh my God. So finally I sent a note to, I mean, even my mom. And finally I sent a note to my mom, a long letter after discussing it with my grief therapist. And I said I'm asking you this for Angel's birthday. His birthday is August 30th. I would like you to please ask everybody in the family to send me a memory. It can just be a text. It can be a letter. It can, but don't call me. I can't, I can't, I just can't deal with the phone calls, but yeah, something. And so I'm hoping that this time I get something that I get some actual support. Yeah, for his birthday.
1: And it is sad that we have to end up educating the people that we love, but it is a lot of times what happened. I don't have very many people in my family that bring up Andy. Hardly any. And the ones that I do are so, so precious to me. Because I, I love that. My grandmother just died and we just had my grandmother's funeral. And she's 92 years old so obviously she lived a long life. But what struck me of course is going and all of my cousins are there with their kids and all their kids they're all talking about how big their kids are and I'm just you know thinking about mine that's not there right and no one no one said a thing no one said a thing and it's really just hard you know I mean I I mentioned this on a Thing that I did with Gwen about how we we were there as family members and of course I'm my mom also died so they went through my grandma's children didn't mention her so uh-huh. she wasn't mentioned and so that's my brother and I weren't mentioned and it's just like it's just these if you didn't exist. very important people are just like they're gone and then they're just gone and no one even remembered that there was anything right and I'm sitting at my grandmother's funeral and And she picked out the same Bible text that we did, sang some of the same songs that we did at Andy's funeral. Like, I literally couldn't breathe. And yet, fortunately, my sister-in-law was sitting beside me, and she just kept looking at me and saying, just breathe, just breathe, just keep breathing, because they don't think about that, even though Grandma, you know, died almost 80 years older than Andy was that it might bring me back to a place that I can't handle it. Right. Right. Only yours is so fresh. It's only been four years. Right. About that for you. Right. About almost four years. Yeah. But yet in my family's mind, I think it feels like, you know, forever. Yeah. Like four years I should be back to pretty normal by now. And if I'm not, there's something wrong with me. So yeah. People feel that way.
2: I I remember (laughs) just a few months after It was maybe even a month. I think it was literally a month after Angelo died. One of my friends, I saw her and she said, oh, how are you guys doing? And I said, good. Except Gabriel's not really socializing. He's not really going out with friends. And she looked at me like this, like for you, like for me, like, well, you're not either. And I I said, you know, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm like, I'm the mother. I, I can't even begin to think of socializing, but I want Gabriel who's just. I mean, at that time, a junior in high school to, to continue, like to continue growing and moving. But I mean, for her to do that to me, like a month later, yeah, you're, you're not out socializing and uh, I still don't go out socializing. I can't, you know, the only people I really want to socialize with are people who have lost their kids who, who get it. So I have a few friends like that. Yeah. It's really hard. I have one other friend who's just really empathetic, who lost her grandmother, lost, her cousin, when her cousin was 13, they were together. And she's really been empathetic. But other than that, I find most people have no clue how to behave, how to talk about it, how to ask you about it.
1: Yeah. And I think it just makes them so uncomfortable. And just, I I also think they think, man, if it could happen to her, it could happen to me. And I don't want to think about it happening to me. So it's just easier if I just don't think about it at all. And and of yeah. course, they go through that. Oh, if I bring something up, I'm going to make her sad. Well, that's just dumb because you're always sad anyway. So, no. it just makes you makes you feel less alone when people talk about it. It does. It makes you feel less alone and that they remember him. So, yeah,
2: and that he's not forgotten. And that's just so hard because Angel had no kids, no wife. Like he's right. only alive in my mind, just like right. Andy. Like, yeah, there's nothing of him left you know, and it's weird. Like I always have this stomach pain, this constant, constant stomach pain of missing Angelo. And it was funny. I finally mentioned that to my grief therapist this week. I'm like, when is my body going to stop hurting? And she said, that is the body that carried Angelo. Your stomach grew him. Like that's why it hurts so much. Every part of you hurts. Like your arms hurt because you held him and everything feels so lost. And it made me, it gave me a different perspective. I was like, okay, that that makes sense now because I've been like, why is my body aching? And now I get it more, you know, it's just aching for, because all of my body made Angelo and all of it misses him.
1: I know my therapist has said so many times to me, your body remembers, your body remembers. Cause I, you know, I was obviously in the accident with, yeah. in the car with Andy and I don't remember it. I don't remember Probably close to half an hour. My therapist will always say, "But your body remembers. Your yeah. body remembers.
2: It's weird." Right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still overcome with guilt, despite the fact that I know logically, I did every single thing I could. Like yeah. I constantly try to get him help and the right tutors and he had food allergies and managed those and, and find the right call. Like I constantly tried to help him. But the one thing I've learned from this is you can't control, like you can grow your baby, you can teach them, but you can't control what they do. And you yeah. can't control like accidents and cars and other people. And it's just... I used to constantly be like, oh, I have to manage this. I have to manage yeah. this problem. I have to, you know, prevent anything bad from happening. And I was just constantly like, oh, I have to protect Angelo. I mean, from the minute he was born, I was just in a constant state of gotta protect my little treasure, my baby. And just all the time, I was always trying to help protect him. And since he died, it's just different with Gabriel. I'm just like different now because I realize. I can't protect you. You're going to have to make good choices. You're going to have to meet deadlines. And if you if your therapist isn't helping you, you're going to have to get another one because I can't do it. The doctors don't let me do anything to help you. I can't help you. I can only give you advice and guidance, but you have to make the decisions. And Gabriel's now 17 and it's like, he'll be 18 in a month. That's it. I cannot make any decisions for him after that. And it's just so hard, you know, to like, accept that. So I know some people I know, like you and some others have said, I'm way more nervous about my other kids now, because you realize how fragile life is. But I realize how fragile life is. But I also realize I can't control life. I can't make things turn out the way I want. So I've kind of been like, it's not that I'm giving up, I'm still here. But I don't have that constant anxiety of like, what if something happens to my kids? Or what can I do to prevent this? It's like, it's out of my hands. I've taught my kids, I've told told them how, you know, that I'm against drugs and alcohol, like, I really can't do anything
1: else, you know? Well, and we've talked a lot about how it's so normal to feel this guilt. And a lot of times, the guilt is advantageous over feeling powerless. Because when you feel that you have no power, when you admit that you're powerless in a situation, that is just devastating. And that's why it's easier to feel guilty than to feel powerless. And And that's what you're describing (laughs) right now is you're feeling totally powerless. I'm feeling powerless with Gabriel Gabriel, because I realize it. but I still feel guilt with Angelo. I know it's interesting that you're feeling both because that's now you're the worst of the mix, I would say, because you know, they always think it's like guilt or powerless. You're still feeling guilt with one, but you're feeling powerless with the other. And that's what I was recently talking about to someone else about trying to feel empowered and get some of that power back and feeling like you've got a little bit of power because there are certain circumstances where you are completely powerless but it's hard to live that way yeah Yeah. it's hard
2: to live both ways it's hard to live with thinking at all times keeping your kid alive and safe is up to you yeah which is the way i've always lived like i'll manage it i'll figure it out that's the way i've always approached it i mean from the minute angel was born he had food allergies like Five food allergies was a big deal. We were living overseas. It was like I had to manage things from the beginning with him and just constantly like we'll figure it out. I got this like that's always been my attitude. I'll figure it out. But I can't figure this one out. Like this is like this makes no sense. I did everything right. I said my prayers. I was a good person. I modeled not drinking. I modeled not doing any drugs. I constantly lectured about the importance of these things. I modeled hard work. I taught him the good values. I know we had them. I just think, you know, life overcame him and somebody put something in there. Again, the police let me down. The police let him down. It's just, I know that I shouldn't feel this guilt, but I just look back and go, this decision, that decision, I should have identified the learning disabilities earlier. I should have done this. I should have known he had OCD.
1: You know, and that's the way you are as a mom. But I didn't know he had all these challenges. And... Right, right. And I'm going to tell you a Gwenism on you're doing too much shitting yourself. <laughs> Don't shoot yourself, right? It's the first time said I heard that, I was like, "Did she just say?" <laughs> yep, I know, and I think that's why Gwen says it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really clever. Yeah, but that is I. I find myself still doing it too, but then I hear Gwen in my own head telling me to stop Um, because you can't, we can't change it. It doesn't matter now. Um, It just, you just have to think about it moving forward. But wow, what a challenge. It's not an easy thing to do. No. And it's just so hard to let go of somebody you just
2: cherished and
1: loved so much and had the best times of your life with. Well, and I think letting go is the wrong way to think about it, right?
0: Because you're
1: never going to let him go, ever. I but never, do you, it, I does your love, love look different now? It is. And I wish it wouldn't have to look different, but it does, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But you're not letting go of him. You're not. And you never will. And you never have to. No, I can't. I know. He's, no. he's with me all the time. And he's part of you, right?
2: He's just part of me it. physically. And, yeah. Yeah. And I used to always say, you guys, are, you're always in my heart. Angela, you're always in my heart. And I'm yeah. always in your heart. But I used to say it in case something happened to me so right. that he would know I was with them. I never knew it was going to be something happened to
1: him. It never's. It's not supposed to be that way, right? It's yeah. not supposed to be that way. You're supposed to live on in their hearts. They're, they're not supposed to be the one to have to live on in your heart. So yeah. we've talked about some different things that you've been doing to try to help yourself and that is seeing the therapist and support groups and things like that so do you want to talk a little bit about what different things have done that have given you some comfort
2: yeah so the first thing that gave me comfort was i was just so so lost i didn't know anybody who had lost a child and actually after i thought about it a while i did know one person from when i used to live in houston but i didn't know anybody here who had lost a child and so I found your podcast and oh my God, Marcy, it was just a lifeline for me to hear these other women, including you who had gone through this. And for me to know I'm not alone, it was just so helpful to me because you feel so alone and it feels like there's nobody else who lost their kid. Why do I have to? And so you find other moms has just been a godsend. And then you pointed me to the, the starlight support group, which It's just, I love the woman in that support group. And it's just been so helpful to me to have them in my life. And I found, this is just so sad, but there was a woman here who lost her son at the high school. He went to PE, they were swimming, and he drowned during PE class, which is just unfathomable in a freshman PE class. But the swimming class had like 60 kids in it and no lifeguards. And just one teacher who was obviously not checking for this. And so she has just been a total lifeline for me. Yeah. I'm just having another person who I can just completely relate to and she gets it. And she's about three and a half, four years ahead of me. And so she's just been my total rock here. And I see her maybe once a week and that's really, really helpful. And then from your podcast, I learned about that group that connects you with another person who lost a child, Um mm-hmm. uh, from a similar circumstance. I can't remember the name of the organization. Um, Just enduring that one. Yeah. And I've Mm -hmm. been matched with a woman with that who lost her daughter just a month, just a little bit before Angelo. Mm -hmm. And of the same thing, just a surprise shocks, you know, some fentanyl got into something. So I I've done that. I think I've done everything I could possibly do. And I went to wow, we're waiting support group Mm -hmm. weekend retreat. So I'm like doing it all. You are doing it all. You are. I don't like reading, like sitting down to read and think about it. Just sitting physically, I can't do that. So what I do is I get books on, on audible Mm -hmm. or, you know, on, so I walk. And when I walk, I listen to those books and I find like, I prefer to read fiction at night. Like it's so hard to sleep as it is like to get your mind going on all that stuff at night. is just too much for me. Yeah. And that's about the only time I have to read. So So yeah, I really find it helpful to walk and listen to your podcast. And then in between podcasts, listen to some of the grief books on, on
1: Audible. Mm -hmm. And I think taking that time to just read some fiction is nice too, because you need to give yourself a break and just try to get away a little bit too, right?
2: You know, I heard that on your podcast. It's just so hard for me. Like I was just starting to play pickleball when Angelo died. And I just like, it's so hard to be in a big social. Oh yeah, for sure. Circumstance. And so he had a few small group classes, which I was able to manage, but I can't do those over the summer. It's just too hot for me in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And so he wants me to go to the evening one where there's like 30 people. I can't do that. So it's really hard to find something that you can do socially that doesn't to, you know, without a big crowd, I, I can't deal with crowds.
1: I can't either. It gets me. I'm angry at everybody. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I don't want anybody to, you know, it's so hard. Like I just started a new job and, you know, people ask, how many kids do you have? And it's just so hard. I don't want to tell everybody and then have, have the whole thing. So I just say, yeah, I have two. and, you know, part of me feels like, I do have two kids, but I mean, part of me feels like I should be honest and tell them, but another part is like, I I can't, like, I have to have, I think I heard this on one of your podcasts, but I have to have like someplace where that's not the focus. And so for me, work is where it's not the focus. And so it's all about work. Nobody knows about my background. We're all working remotely. So we're not that close. So that's kind of like an escape for me. Yeah. It's for me in the sense that I'm earning money and doing something I like doing. Yeah. That's about as good as it gets for me. <laughs> yeah. Reading fiction and occasionally watching TV or yeah, I can't even go to a movie. I just find that just so hard. Oh,
1: I'm sure because he loved them. So These good, normal things. It mm-hmm. just, just, yeah, I know. Well, thank you so much, Sheila, for coming on the podcast today and sharing Angelo. I loved being able to hear more about him and learn more about him than I didn't even know before. So thank you for that gift.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this, Marcy. It's just, I know it must be hard for you to do this so regularly and so often, and it's just so helpful. So thank you It really is
1: a privilege. It's really a privilege. It's
2: amazing. It's just such a help to me. And I just really appreciate you and all the moms who have gone on the show.
1: Well, and I appreciate you so much, more than you probably know. So thank you. <laughs> thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on mom.com Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.